For Christ in the sacrament is not altogether unlike Christ in the manger. To the manger, we may well liken the husk or outward symbols of the sacrament. Outwardly, it seems little worth, but is rich in contents. It was the crib Christmas day with Christ in it. For what are they but infirma et agena elementa, weak and poor elements of themselves? Yet in them we find Christ, even as they did this day in the beast's crib, find the food of angels, which very food our signs both represent and present unto us. So preached Bishop Lancelot Andrews on Christmas Day in 1618. The Incarnation is, of course, connected with the Holy Eucharist in which we participate today. In fact, St. Cyril of Alexandria, when he was arguing against the Nestorians and their heresy, used more than once the received belief regarding the Eucharist as an illustration of what the Catholic Church received and believed regarding the Incarnation. The compilers of our prayer book were faithful to the Fathers and the liturgies of the early Church when they stated what the Eucharist was. Firstly, as to the relation of the outward part or sign to the inward part or thing signified, the books of homilies speak of his blessed body and blood under the form of bread and wine. Secondly, as to the reception, the body and blood of Christ are verily and indeed taken and received by the faithful in the Lord's Supper, as our catechism instructs us. Thirdly, again from the catechism, as to the means of their reception, the mean whereby the body of Christ is received and eaten in the supper is faith. In effect, the Church of England went back to the Fathers in regards to the teachings of the Eucharist. Before there was such a doctrine as transubstantiation or even of consubstantiation or mere symbolism when discussing the Eucharist. 19th century scholar Father Herbert Eck notes, the doctrine of the English Church is in fact the doctrine of the ancient Fathers and liturgies, namely that in virtue of consecration by the power of the Holy Ghost, the bread and wine become the veils of the real though unseen presence of the Lord, so that after and by virtue of consecration, they become what they were not before and are no longer common bread nor common wine, but the body and blood of the incarnate Jesus." This ancient and Catholic doctrine corresponds wonderfully with the doctrine of which we celebrate today and all during Christmas tide, the incarnation, the reality of the divine becoming part of his creation, God taking a body. Let us look 
therefore, at the connection between the Eucharist and the Incarnation in just those three areas I just listed a bit earlier. Firstly, as to the relation of the outward port or part or sign to the inward part or thing signified, our commentator notes that in the Incarnation, in the Incarnation, the divine was hidden and the human was apparent. So it is in the Eucharist. That which appeared to the Magi and to the shepherds was the human form of a little child. That which appears to the communicant is the earthly form of bread and wine. But just as with the utmost propriety we can speak of the child in his mother's arms as God, so too with the utmost propriety the church speaks of the consecrated elements as the body and blood of the Savior. In both of these situations, the incarnation and the holy sacrament, the earthly and the heavenly, the human and the divine meet and are one. He, says Eck, who was content to hide his divinity under the veil of the manhood, is content now to hide his sacred presence under the veils of the sacrament. Yet, the reality is that the union in both cases is so real and true that those who beheld and touched our Lord during his life on earth believed that they were beholding and touching the word of life. So too, we who behold and touch the consecrated bread and wine of the sacrament of the Eucharist with the eyes of faith do behold the holy body and precious blood of Christ, which they have become by the power of the Holy Ghost. The bread and wine, by virtue of their consecration, become the body and blood of our risen and glorified Christ. So these earthly elements of bread and wine correspond to the manger which held Christ in it, as Bishop Andrews noted at the beginning of the sermon. Secondly, as to the reception. We spoke of the body and blood taken and received when we partake of the bread and the wine. Father Eck, the greatness of the inward reality does not annihilate or swallow up the outward. This principle, <clears throat> excuse me, this principle is emphasized in the heresy of monophysitism which was an attempt to defend against Nestorianism. So let me explain. Nestorianism teaches that the two natures of Christ are so loosely related that they are really two separate persons, a divine and a human. This is a heresy, Nestorianism. And monophysitism was an attempt to rectify that heresy. Unfortunately, as is so often the case, the pendulum swung a little bit too far. In monophysitism, the monk Eutychus taught that Christ, after the incarnation, ended up not with two natures, but only with one nature. The human nature being subsumed or swallowed up by the divine nature. The Council of Chalcedon emphasized the true teaching of the apostles that the one person of the Lord incarnate had 
two natures without any confusion of those natures. Eck emphasizes that the fathers appealed to the doctrine of the Eucharist as a parallel to the doctrine which they were defending against Eutychus, confirming the truth that the divine nature does not annihilate nor swallow up the human nature. The permanence of the outward and visible in the Eucharist was taken as an illustration of the permanence of our Lord's manhood in the Incarnation. The medieval doctrine of the Eucharist, in fact, repeats the error of Eutychus, that the divine nature of Christ's presence in the sacrament swallows up the human and physical, the earthly nature of the bread and the wine. Father Eck notes that the fact of the incarnation is the culminating proof of that principle which so plainly is so plainly apparent in all of God's dealings with us. The principle, namely, that the supernatural does not do away with the natural. This principle says that Nestorius was wrong. The child in Mary's arms was the divine person of Christ. And that Eutychus was wrong. The divinity of Christ was perfectly joined to the humanity of Jesus in one person with two Natures. Regarding the Eucharist, we can see that the extreme Zwinglian position that the bread and the wine are mere symbols, empty symbols of Christ. We can see that that position is outside this principle because it denies that there is anything divine or an inner part at all to the sacrament. And that the medieval and still popular Roman position today of transubstantiation is also outside this principle because the earthly and the physical is merely in appearance only, having been swallowed up by the divine. This, in essence, violates the principle of the incarnation. Thirdly, we move to reception. What is our attitude towards the Incarnation and the Eucharist? We see here another parallel between the Eucharist and the Incarnation in regards to our faith. Again, Father Eck. As when our Lord was upon earth, it was faith which put a difference between the multitudes who thronged him and the poor stricken woman who touched him. So now it is faith which makes the difference between those who receive the holy body and blood to their profit and those who receive it to their condemnation. As in the incarnation, the benefits of our Lord's divine person were brought into touch with the recipients of those benefits by means of his humanity, so in the Eucharist we are brought into relation to the sacred person of him who is both man and God by the touch of his risen and glorified manhood. Our faith, my friends, recognize and appropriates, appropriates the benefits offered to us, but our faith does not affect the presence of Christ in the Eucharist any more than anyone's faith made Christ human and present in the days of his earthly life. It was just a reality that Christ was incarnate. The person of Jesus was the person of the divine. He was present in the cradle, 
present in the temple, present on the shores of the lake, present on the cross, whether men recognized and believed in him or not. Power and virtue were within him, whether they had faith to be healed or not. The presence of Christ was, even in his earthly life, in his highest highest sense, a spiritual presence. For the divine, that which made the physical, was within the physical person of Christ. So too in the Eucharist, Christ's presence is a spiritual presence, no less real because it is spiritual. Our commentator notes that by declaring our Lord to be spiritually present, we mean that he is present in a supernatural way. It is a presence which is spiritually discerned, a presence which, though it is in no sense affected by our faith, is yet recognized and appropriated by our faith. To the worldling, the consecrated symbols of bread and wine appear as bread and wine and nothing more, simply because the worldling is wanting in that faculty by which alone the spiritual things are discerned, the faculty of faith. But to him who has eyes to see, the outward elements are the vehicle of the heavenly gift. The guests in the inn at Bethlehem, the crowds who thronged our Lord during his earthly life, the unbelieving Jews as they gazed upon the empty tomb, have their counterparts now. But so too have the faithful shepherds and the wise men and the woman who alone was able to touch our Lord and the holy women at the sepulcher. In the incarnation, the eternal Godhead tabernacled amongst us, having taken on our flesh. In the Eucharist, the body and blood of our Lord is given and taken under the sacramental veils of bread and wine. I close with a quote from the 15th homily of the second book of homilies published in 1563. When thou goest up to the reverend communion to be satisfied with spiritual meats, look thou up with faith upon the holy body and blood of thy God. Marvel with reverence Touch it with the mind, receive it with the hand of thy heart, and take it fully with the inward man. Amen.